0: Uh, We are uh, continuing this morning our sermon series, Out of the Life of Gideon, which is a sermon series not just about the life of Gideon, but about about Scripture and about how to use it and to go through it and to really metabolize it in a way that uh, translates into strength and health and maturity in our own lives. Um, The Bible really doesn't read like any other sort of sacred book out there in the world from other religions and other uh, truth systems. Uh, doesn't read like any other holy story uh, uh, for that matter. And, and other sacred texts around the world that you find in, in different, different faith traditions, the heroes in the stories are almost gods themselves, you know, uh, almost God like. You know, you think of, I don't know, a guy like Muhammad or a guy like, you know, Buddha. Right? They're sort of elevated and unquestioned and at the end sort of infallible and, and, and they end up being uh, revered and, and worshipped. Or in the stories, sometimes the gods that are featured in the stories are suspiciously human-like. You know, they're, they're capricious. They need to be managed or appeased or are or, or sometimes outwitted depending on, on what tradition that you're in. Um, or, you know, they're scary, they need to be avoided, uh, something like that. But in the Bible, you get a God who's very uh, parental, sort of, you know, loving, and who develops people uh, to be more mature, stronger, healthier, uh, happier. And the heroes that we get in the Bible stories um, are not very God-like. They're often cowards at the beginning. And often foolish at the end. But along the way, they often do extraordinary things uh, because they're interacting with a good God as they go. And so the stories tend to be very instructive uh, for we imperfect humans, for us imperfect humans who, who, uh, who read them and wish to walk with God in our lives. If, if we would just listen. And that's one of the great themes of the Bible. It's like, hey, it would go better for you if you would just listen. Um, If you would just listen uh, to the Lord. And what we found in the beginning of Gideon's story last week in Judges chapter 6 was that Gideon begins to become Gideon. Gideon begins to become a a new person. In fact, he gets a new name, Jerob Baal. Contends against Baal. Contends against false gods. He gets a new name precisely because he heard God and starts conversing with God for himself and everything is revolutionized. And that's kind of where we, we pick up uh, the story today in, in the life of, of Gideon. Another thing that, that I notice uh, as a longtime reader of the Bible is that there are lots of battle stories in the Bible. Have you noticed this? Lots and lots of battle stories, you could probably name some. There's like, you know, the Israelites versus the Egyptians at the Red Sea. All right, you remember that one? It ends kind of epically. In fact, Hollywood epics have been made about that moment. God parts the sea. Uh, There's the battle of Jericho. Uh, If you grew up in the church and you went to Sunday school, I can pretty much guarantee you sang songs about Jericho, right, it's an awesome story. You walked around, the walls came, Of course they did. The walls came tumbling down and this epic battle story. David and Goliath, you know, uh, what's better than that? A giant is killed with a slingshot and, you know, the army of the Philistines are routed. And then today's story, we're going to look at uh, how Gideon beat the Midianite army with 300 men. Uh, The first famous 300. 300. Battle stories, I think, are really helpful in life, probably why we find them so often in the Bible, uh, because I don't know about you, but I think life often seems like a battle. Anyone? Anyone? Can I get an amen, some snaps for that? Yeah, there's, some, there's some struggle to life, at least, at least in my life, because I'm probably doing it wrong. But, um, you know, sometimes you have, to, you have to get your battle on. Uh, if, if, if you noticed, challenges loom in life. You might have a challenge in your life right now. I'll give you a moment to really think about it. Anybody have a challenge in life? Just sort of, yeah, just give, give someone a high five next to you and say, yeah, I know. Yeah. And the thing about challenges in life is that when they happen, you should defeat them. Right? You should you should fight battles uh, often with intensity and sometimes r- with risk taking, which is what makes a battle uh, a battle. Uh, and uh, it may be that one of the reasons there are so many battle stories in Scripture is to remind us simply that challenges are to be treated as battles, which is to say that problems are supposed to be solved. And that to do that, we have to fight. We should not just acquiesce. We should not just quit. We we should not just sit on our butts and complain, but we should fight. Remember that when the angel of God first came to Gideon at the very opening of Gideon's story, what's, what's like the first line, the first interaction of the entire epic of Gideon? The angel says to him, hey, greetings, mighty warrior. And at the time, Gideon is hiding in a hole in the ground, trying to protect wheat, you know, the harvest. And the angel comes and essentially says, I just want to remind you that you're a mighty warrior. I just want to remind you that though you have some problems in life and though your people have some problems, the truth is you're a fighter. And what does that tell you about what you should do with respect to your problems? I'm amplifying and paraphrasing the story, but that's, those of you who were here last week, you'll remember that that's how, how the story starts. I just wanna remind you that life is a battle, but you are a warrior. I should, I should get an amen with that. That was, that, was like an, that was like an awesome preaching moment, and you kinda of just slept right through it. So I'm gonna say it again. Make sure that you appreciate uh, just, just, just the truth of the moment. All right, all right, here we go. Okay. Life is a battle, but you are a warrior. Yeah. All right, all right. A little bit slow. All right, so what I'm going to do here uh, is I'm going to read, I, I excerpted the end of chapter 6 and a good chunk of chapter 7 from the book of Judges as the story of Gideon continues. It's just three or four chapters long. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through uh, the story, which is kind of long, and then we're going to go through and we're just going uh, to attack it in chunks and make some observations. And this is just kind of an exercise in interacting with Scripture together, uh, but there might be one or two things uh, uh, to learn uh, along the way, and because they've printed this scripture in perversely small type, I'm going to put on my uh, my reading glasses today. So we're gonna pick up the story in Judges uh, chapter six at the end, verse 33. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan, that is, they came into Israel and camped in the valley of Jezreel. So a particularly huge invading army this time. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abezrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms. Manasseh is one of the the tribes, actually it's a half-tribe in Israel. And also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they went up to meet him. So so a good chunk of the nation of Israel uh, he calls to a battle. Then Gideon said to God, "'If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, "'look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. "'If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry,' then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. You understand how this is working, right? Usually there's dew on the ground in the morning. Gideon throws out a a wool carpet and says, instead of dew being on the ground, make it so that there's only dew on the carpet. And that's what happened. And he took it as a sign. Then Gideon said to God, "Uh, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Two signs in a row. Skipping ahead just a little bit. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. All the men rallied to Gideon's trumpet, said, Yeah, actually, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army: anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead, where they had gathered. So twenty two thousand men left, while ten thousand remained. Just pause. I appreciate the nature of this army. Hey, thanks for coming, mighty warriors. If anybody's scared, you could go home. Oh, wait, wait, hold on. Wait, wait. Two thirds of the army vanish. <laughs> Must have made him feel awesome. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. Awesome. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord told him, separate those who lap water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Now that's creative. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like a dog, like this. All the rest got down on their knees to drink directly from the water. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapse, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon has 300 dog-like men. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack... Go down to the camp with your servant, Purah, and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. So now he's eavesdropping on the conversation of a couple Midianite soldiers. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. as good bread. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. He interprets the dream in a way that was disastrous for the Midianites. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they had changed guard. So, middle of the night, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Surrounding the Midianite camp, there's just 300 of them, but they've made a big circle and all at once they break the jars, revealing the flames. They blow trumpets. They shout a war cry, and the Midianites look up and see this, this encirclement. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. They freak out. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. They just they start panicking and they start slashing at anything that moves. The army fled to Beth Sheta toward Zerera, as far as the border of Abel-Mahola near Tabath. So the route begins. Good story. You can say, yay. Thank you. Uh, so let's go through that in chunks. And I don't know what you saw when uh, we read through that, uh, but I'll give you a few observations of uh, what jumps out at me. First of all, Uh, God has identified uh, Gideon as a warrior and called him to defeat the Midianites. And the first thing Gideon does when true to form the Midianites and their guests come and invade the land of Israel that season uh, with this huge invading army is Gideon blows the trumpet. He calls all of the men to battle uh, from the surrounding uh, region. Um, And I noticed that he does this even before he knows what he's going to do exactly. Did you notice that? Right? So he blows the trumpet. He gathers all these men. There, it turns out there to be about 30,000 men, which is not chump chains. It's a really big gathering of, of swords. Blows the trumpet and he gathers them. And then he does the fleece. So, Lord, if you're going to deliver them, if you really want me to fight them, would you please give me a sign with this wool carpet? What's your question? What bugs you about that? Why did he rally everybody first and then check to see if he should fight, right? That's, that's backward. Did you see that? Did that bug you? Uh, one of my number one Bible study tools is to ask myself, what bugs me about this story? What bugs me about this teaching? What bugs me about this passage? And, and that really bugs me about this passage. It's like, you know. Blow the trumpet first, even before he's absolutely sure what he's going to do. So he's got 30,000 guys there, 32,000 guys. And he's like, uh, I wonder what to do now. <laughs> you know, it's like when the guys show up, suddenly the situation gets real. And he's like, oh, uh, I, better, I, better, I better figure out what it is that I'm trying to, to do here. A large portion of humans go through life avoiding battles. Problems loom and challenges come in life. And for a large proportion of us humans, that means we just shrink away from trouble. Um, The Bible suggests that the choice usually for us humans isn't between winning battles and losing battles. It's between fighting battles and not fighting battles. And the first step we need to make in life is to decide that we're going to fight. And then later we can figure out how we're going to fight. And what I love about the story of Gideon is that it displays this human truth very clearly. Gideon's like, well, God called me to be a warrior and warriors fight. Give me that trumpet. I am calling my brothers to arms. Goes around the countryside, everybody comes together and all they know is that it's time to fight. Step one, attack mode. You gotta put yourself in attack mode before you put yourself in planning mode, oftentimes. Are you following? Does that sound like a worthy life principle to you? And Gideon is a guy who's just kind of groping his way through this maturation process. He's never done this before. You know, a week earlier, he figured he was just a coward who should be hiding in holes. And now he's a national military leader of Israel. He's making it up as he goes along, but he knows the first thing is attack. So he's gonna settle that first. First he, he, uh, he blows uh, the trumpet. The first decision is always the decision to be a fighter. When the Israelites had their backs against the Red Sea and it was time to fight the Egyptians in the Exodus story, the Israelites freaked out. They called on Moses to surrender. And God said, no, no, no. I am turning you from a slave people into a free people. And the first thing you need to learn, free people, is that sometimes it's time to fight. Now, I'm going to help you out here. <laughs> I'm going to split the sea. But you've got to stand. You've got to stand still and know that I am God. That's how he put it in that story. The Israelites freaked out in front of Goliath and the Philistines. If you know that story, for 40 days, they did nothing. They just cowered in fear. They gave a little battle cry in the morning. Then Goliath came out, and then they all went back to their tents because they had not made the choice to fight. And David shows up, and he's like, what's wrong? I'll fight him." he came in as a warrior and he followed through even though he really wasn't the right guy for the job. The first decision is always, I gotta fight. First, I'm gonna blow the trumpet. Maybe you're in a, a, a point in life like that. Maybe you just gotta make the choice to blow the trumpet. You know what, this situation sucks. You know what, I'm tired of being scared. You know what, this problem has been around for a long time. I don't know what the solution is, but Ah! attack mode. Attack mode. If I were a really unkind pastor, I would have you blow the trumpet and make the noise right now, but that's even too big a stretch for me. But you can look at someone uh, with battle face. So just do that. Look at the person next to you and make your best battle face. Attack mode. Yeah, I don't really think this is inspiring battle spirit. You get my point though, right? The first step for any hero of battle is to make the call to battle. That's the first step. And so I think, I think Gideon gets this right. Don't just cope, fight. That's the first step to maturity, to being who you are. So, uh, so that's how it goes, Gideon blows the trumpet. And maybe there's a place in your life where you just need to blow the trumpet. It's like, yeah, I don't don't know what's going to happen next, but let me declare battle season. You know? Uh, Whatever happens next, there's going to be change, dang it. All right, say amen if you got it. And then comes this incredibly famous part of the story, Gideon's fleece. You know, and it's such a famous story in the Bible that it's actually part of the vernacular. It's like, well, I don't really know if that's the right thing to do. Let me throw out a fleece. Let me, let, me, let me test it uh, to see if this is uh, the right thing uh, to do. Uh, and as, as I already mentioned, it really bothers me uh, in the story that, getting, you know, calls 32,000 people to commit <laughs> and then says, well, is this the right thing to do? You know, you could really criticize him for being a poor military commander. Is this a guy that you would like to follow? All right, we've come to risk life and limb for you, right? let me just check to make sure we should all really be here. Um, so what, what is actually going through Gideon's minds here as he thinks about this? It may be that Gideon is just trying to be respectful of God. Because if you know some of the stories of Israel invading the land of, of Canaan to sort of drive out the enormously wicked tribes that were there. The Israelites from time to time had to fight battles against the, the Canaanites that were in their land. And occasionally, they would pick a fight that God told them not to fight. Right? They would not check in with God to make sure that they were doing the right battle. And they would lose that battle and disaster would result. And maybe Gideon has in his mind that, well, you know, my ancestors made some mistakes here. Uh, let me just honor God by checking in with God. That might be part of it. I don't know, as I read the story, he's like, let me do a fleece. Don't be angry with me, can I just check one more time? It sounds a little bit like he himself is having some misgiving, and that maybe it's not just honoring God and checking in with God, maybe it's also like seeking reassurance. Um, not, Not really sure, but anyway, God deals with him pretty generously here, right? He, he not only gets prophetic guidance to go to war, then he gets a reassuring sign. Sure, I'll put dew on the fleece and the drown, ground will be dry. And then he gets another reassuring sign. So, and I, I wouldn't make this a rule of life if I were you. I have from time to time thrown out fleeces to God. It's like, really God, you want me to do that? I'll tell you what, if you want me to do that, Can you just like give me a sign, maybe this or maybe that? And then God will like not react at all. And a day passes and I'm like, still I have the conviction that that's the right thing to do. It's as if the Lord is saying to me, yeah, I told you and you're a grown up boy and maybe you should just follow through. I think there are occasions in life where, where God does that as well. Just like as you get older as a child or as your children get older, sometimes you're like, well, we talked about this. <laughs> you know? It's like, do I really need to clarify anymore? Well, you didn't tell me to make my bed today, yet the past hundred days I did. And so maybe you could just figure it out. You know, sometimes there are those moments in life. Um, but I don't know. Gideon's just starting out and God... Is, is really working with him here. And that's the picture uh, that, that I get. I also ask myself, what would Gideon have done if in the morning he got up and the fleece had due and the ground had due? You know, if the sign didn't work out for him. What would he have done with his 32,000 men at that point? And I'm not really sure. I think the most human thing to do would have been to sort of go to battle. Because that's what we do. When we're not sure, we sort of do, right? We look for the compromise. Um, So I think maybe he would have said, all right, we have 32,000 men. Let's harass the Midianites a little bit and then go home. Let's do enough to tell the families that we tried. Uh, Somebody will write a song about it. And then we'll go home, go to the caves, and complain a little bit if we'd only had a bigger army or something like that. I'm not really sure. Uh, But but it works out for him. Here's my takeaway. Gideon is groping through this one step at a time. And, And it's a rare and interesting situation, so God bless him, I totally get it. While one might criticize his chops as a military commander, you know, I mean, because you'd probably hesitate to follow a guy who had no plan going in. Um, But the truth is, that's a lot like life, you know. You make a decision to go to battle. You make a decision to change your life. You make a decision to change the lives of the people around you. You make a decision to change the life of your family. Suddenly, people are counting on you. And then you kind of wonder how it's all going to go down and whether you know exactly what to do at that point. So you double check as best you can with God. And then you might have to come up with a plan in the moment. Gideon had become Jerob Baal. He had become this warrior that he is simply and only because God had conversed with him. That's the only reason he finds himself in this spot. So when he's kind of having a moment of doubt or lack of clarity, he's gonna hang on to what got him here in the first place. Conversation with God. That's what made him who he is. He's sticking with the horse he rode in on. It's like, well, I'm here because God spoke to me. I'm a little bit queasy right now. Maybe God will speak to me again. And you remember he had asked the angel for a sign and fire came and consumed the sacrifice last week. So he's like, well, that worked once. Let me see if it'll work again. What do I have? I have some wool. Let me go with this. Well, is that the way it works? I forget. I mean, does the wool repel dew or gather dew? So, okay, let me switch it, right? And he's, but he's conversing with God, right? When in doubt, talk to God. That's what got you here in the first place. This is very human. I love it. You know, let me check to see if God really does want me to take this job after all. You know, because now the offer's on the table. Saying, all right, all right, let me just check to make sure I'm getting this right. Yeah. You have a God who speaks. You're a believer who listens. Why not check in? Let me check to see if God really does want me in this romantic relationship, you know, if I really am making healthy choices, because sometimes, you know, romance screws with people's minds, it's probably worth a double check, God speaks, I listen, let me, let me check in, why the heck not, let me check to see if God really does want me to move to this place, let me check to, to see if, if I'm getting this right, and God really does want me to leave this place, because, you know, that's, that's a big move, let me check in, I've got a big God who speaks, why not? Let me check to see if God really does want me to do this thing, let me check to see if God really does want me to break my commitment to doing this thing, you know? Why not check in? Why not double check? You have a God who speaks, and he might speak to you in a fashion that's a little less slick than the fleece, but how many of you know God actually talks? How many of you know as the Old Testament often reassures us that he is not just some mute idol of stone because that's what Jerabbaal is fighting against he's fighting against the false idols who don't talk and so he's learning to deal with the living god who does talk it's the nature of the exercise you following anyway the fleece works really smoothly I say that because know sometimes gimmicky things like fleeces don't work all that smoothly, but conversation with God always does work uh, somehow if we just listen and, and stick with it. Um, and uh, I don't know, it's working for him so far. You don't wanna rely on gimmicks. In the end, Gideon kind of over relies on them, but we'll get to that part of the story eventually uh, for now. God is just kind of developing the conversation. And then God does a sort of double check too, which I think is fair. I mean, fair is fair. Gideon's like, reassure me that I should be going into the battle with these men. And God's like, sure, I'll reassure you. Uh, Lord, don't get angry. Reassure me again. Fine, I'll reassure you again. And then God says, "Uh, Gideon, those 32,000 men, you're willing to go into battle against the Midianites with those guys? Absolutely, Lord. Well, what if I take almost all of them away? Would you still be willing to go into battle? And so God initiates this conversation uh, with Gideon and says, uh, you know, I I want everyone to know that I'm the guy behind this story so that they learn to trust me rather than trusting in masses of humanity, masses of weaponry. Uh, So here's what we're going to do. And it's like this whole thing, you know, first, if you're too afraid, go home. Um, just really interesting military leadership. <laughs> you know, Usually it's like, don't be afraid. Get your game on." And God's like, "No, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in faith and uh, not fear. So if you're afraid, you know, and 22,000 guys uh, take off. That's not enough. And then he does this whole thing with drinking with water, and it winnows it down to just 300 guys. Uh, recall that Gideon's nickname given to him by his village was Jerob Baal, contends against Baal, contends against false gods. And right away we see in this story that God wants to clarify that it's really a spiritual battle. As most battles in life are, let's face it, right? If you've got a big problem in life and something that you need to overcome, you know, the, the first fight of any fight is the fight for faith. The first battle of any life battle is the battle to trust God, the living God. And so, you know, the Lord is sort of clarifying this in manifest ways uh, in in this story. It's like, this is a fight for faith in God, and let me make sure, Gideon, that you've won that fight before we get into the other fight. So, winnows it down to 300. Have you ever felt as if being godly meant you were living life with a handicap? You know what I mean by that? Have you ever felt like following God's guidelines, following God's morality, doing things God's way, made life far less convenient for you than for other people? Anyone? Anyone? If you haven't, you're probably not doing it right. Let me just tell you that right now. You know, following God brings incredible limitations into your life, right, incredible restrictions. Have you ever felt like you had, like, a nice vision for your life, important things that you wanted to accomplish, but that God just really didn't give you enough help or enough resources to pull it off? Anyone? Seriously, like three people? You guys clearly are not trying hard enough. Um, Or has it ever seemed to you as if God went out of his way to make things unnecessarily meager in your life? Anyone? You gave God every chance to bless you, to give you lots of resources, to really give you breakthrough in a glorious, world-changing way, and he didn't do it. Anyone? Anyone? Anybody honest enough to admit it? Now I'm getting some shaking fists. Yeah! Ever felt like you had just too many restrictions in life and God was either authoring the restrictions or not really cooperating with you at removing the restrictions? Well, this is the story for you, isn't it? You know, this is it. This is kind of what the story is about. You know, I don't know if your lack of resources and your meagerness and, and uh, you know, your lack of godly help is actually from God. I mean, I I don't know that for sure, but it might be. And if it is, he can use that. He can use that to bring you victory uh, in a better way than you would have had victory otherwise. Um, At the end of the day, Gideon routes a much larger army, tens of thousands of soldiers he routes with 300 guys if he would have tried to fight an army of tens of thousands with an army of tens of thousands, the Israelites would have lost thousands of lives. There would have been epic bloodshed. Instead, he just drives the Midianites into panic, and the you know, countless lives are saved. This works out better. This works out better in the end, even though at the beginning it must have looked like unnecessarily meager uh, to Gideon. And that's just a powerful life principle uh, that's easy to pull from the story. You don't have to be large to do large. You don't have to be great to do great. If you're following me, that's probably worth an amen. Uh, And so God has winnowed him down to 300 guys. He's going to face this army of tens of thousands of people. And then the Lord speaks into the story, and I love what he says. He said, Gideon... Go up against the camp now, but if you're afraid, <laughs> you know, those 22,000 guys who split, they were afraid. I never asked you, <laughs> but if you're afraid, I got some encouragement for you. And I love it that that conversation doesn't go any further. You know, God doesn't ask, are you afraid? He just said, you know, if, let's just say theoretically, Gideon, that you're a little bit afraid right now. Uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into the Midianite camp, which itself would have been a step of some courage, right? And, and I'm a, I have some encouragement for you there. You can take your servant with you if you need somebody to help you along. You know, it's good to have a wingman. Uh, but go down and just, I got something for you there. So Gideon sneaks into camp, uh, which would, probably would have been easy to do. This isn't like a, a modern military installation with, you know, fencing and guard posts and floodlights and stuff like that. It was just a massive humanity. It probably would have been fairly easy for two strangers to walk through the camp because, you know, a group of soldiers over here would not have known the faces of a soldier over here. So it was probably cool. Uh, What happens is that Gideon eavesdrop, he overhears this conversation of this dream. One soldier is saying, yeah, I saw this, this loaf of barley come rolling into camp and it just sort of destroyed a tent. It was, you know, you imagine a little loaf of bread destroying a structure. It's like... That's, that freaks me out a little bit. And the other soldier said, oh yeah, that's, that's Gideon, son of Joash. They have heard. What Gideon discovers is that the Midianites are already on edge a little bit. They're not used to opposition in Israel. They're used to a cakewalk, right? And now Midian has called the army against them. They don't know that he's only got 300 guys, uh, but... You know, a tiny loaf coming in and blowing up the camp, that's exactly like 300 guys bringing destruction to the Midianite army. It's a wonderfully encouraging dream once Gideon overhears it and he's pumped and he goes back to camp and he says, let's move, let's do it. And it seems to have given Gideon an idea. Like if the Midianites are this edgy, what if I use fear against them instead of using swords against them? and a light bulb goes on. God doesn't instruct Gideon how to fight the battle in the end, but God gives Gideon enough encouragement that he sees a way. The path emerges, and I think life is often like that. It's not as if God tells you exactly what to do. God just gets you into position so that you can figure out what to do. You hear that? God doesn't tell you exactly what to do in life. God just maneuvers you into a position where you can see a path forward. And that's often as good as you get. This is best you get. But that's really what you need, isn't it? You just have to be in the right place, in the right frame of mind, and then suddenly it's, I have an idea right? And Gideon doesn't ask for guarantees. He says, I got torches. I got a bunch of jars. I got about 300 guys. We could probably make a circle. In the dark, they're not going to know that it's just a couple of guys with a torch. They're going to think that there's a whole company of men with every trumpet. Uh, and so he hatches this plan. Remember, it's pitch dark. The Midianites just kind of wake up and they see themselves surrounded by torches. And indeed, they go from edgy to full-fledged panic, and they just start flailing around. Remember, it's pitch dark, and one group of soldiers won't know the faces of another group of soldiers. They see, you know, one group of guys running to them, and they think it might be, you know, Israelites, and they just start hacking away. And before you know it, a good chunk of the army, the Midianite army, has has just slaughtered itself off. Nobody would have seen that coming, right? And that's how it is often in God's stories. You don't see it coming, Uh, but it works out. Gideon said, I have a deep numerical limitation here. The Midianites are edgy. Maybe God is helping to make them edgy with dreams and stuff. How can I use what I have to exploit that? Jars and torches. Let's do this. And the rest is history. You know, the brave stand of the 300. Um, God had given Gideon a huge limitation. God had restricted help. God had, essentially, impoverished Gideon in a moment of crisis. And that just happened to be the best way to solve the problem. It's a great story. Lives are saved. Victory is won. And once the route is on, once the battle has been decided, then it says that Gideon sent the call out again, and he called you know, all the neighboring tribes, Manasseh and Asher and Naphtali, and said, all right, now come on down. What we want to do is prevent this army from crossing the Jordan back into uh, their home territory. So you know, the route is on. Get out there. Let's go. That's the story. We did it. Almost two chapters, chapter and a half of, of, uh, of story. Uh, give yourself a hand. And what we get at the end here is a very interesting story, what I, what I call a God-style story. A guy who was wrong for the job, right, as Gideon said. It's like, uh, I'm just some punk in the smallest tribe, and if you can't tell, I'm hiding in a hole right now because I'm a little scared. Uh, I'm not your guy. Whose identity is changed overnight. Literally right? You remember the story? The angel shows up, said, mighty warrior, here's what I want you to do. In the night, I want you to tear down these altars. Uh, and Gideon wakes up the next morning. The village confronts him. His father defends him. And they say, all right, you're Jerob now. You're the guy who contends against Baal. Overnight, he became Gideon, the hide-and-seek coward, <laughs> to the one guy in the country who is fighting against false gods. Um... So literally his identity has changed overnight. He tries to do the right thing by blowing the trumpet. Suddenly he's kind of on the spot. And then he gropes his way through the situation via conversation with his God. uh, Who has him use a very meager and unlikely path to victory. That ultimately proves Gideon to be brave and clever two things that he didn't formally think he was, clearly, when he tried to turn down the job. That's a very God-style story. Great victory, identity change, unlikely solutions, a lot of faith and courage involved. God-style story. There's courage, there's redemption, there's justice in the end. And as God says, none of it would have been possible without God, without God's intervention. Only God produces these kinds of stories. And if you are going to live a God-style story, you have to be willing to do things in a God-style way. And often, God's style is not the world's style, and very often, God's style is not our style. You know, the Bible says, His ways are higher than our ways, which sounds a little bit romantic. You know, His ways are just far more unlikely than our ways. Might be occasionally a more practical way to put that. Amen. Anybody have lived this out? Do you know that to be true? Are you willing to live a God-style story? One of you. I'm not really sure I have raised battle spirit in the manner I intended with this sermon. Are you willing to live a God-style story, people? Do you have an oppressive problem? Yes or no. Anyone? Anybody have an oppressive problem? You can raise your hand right now. Don't raise your hand. Make a fist. Come on. There you go, mighty warriors. Do you have an oppressive problem? If so, you are supposed to fight it. That's who you are. That's what oppressive problems are for. Oppressive problems are to fight. Occasionally I give teachings on you know fighting evil spirits and demons and stuff like that. Demons have a lousy job description. Their job description is to get beat up by us. It's why they're around. It's why you have oppressive problems in your life. I don't know how they came to be, but I can tell you what purpose they are serving currently. They are there for you to defeat them, which means that you have to fight. You are designed as a mighty warrior. Turn to the person next to you and say, hello, mighty warrior. There you are. Nice to see you here. I'm glad you came up out of the hole. Good. Um, You are a mighty warrior. and, And even if you're not acting like it, and even if people around you aren't cooperating with you, if they're being, I don't know, unhelpful, the fact is you're still a mighty warrior, and this is the right time to fight the battle. Attack mode, now, you're on it, amen? So you don't just complain, You step out, and here's a thought, you take responsibility for the problem. Because if there's a problem, it's your responsibility. Even if it's a national problem, let's say, I don't know, there was a huge problem in the nation, I don't know, maybe national politics or huge social relations or something, here's what you wouldn't do, you certainly would not complain about that problem until you took responsibility for solving it, right? Because that would be crazy. No believer would do that, right? That's right, obviously. So you gotta take responsibility for the problem in some way. What way? Well, I don't know, but here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna blow the trumpet. Hey, everybody, to me, let's fix this. All right, we're here. How are we gonna fix it? Give me a second. I will figure this out momentarily. Does anybody have any wool? Maybe you don't. Maybe you just need to pray with God. But here I go. Here we go. Attack mode. It's the time. And then then what do you do? Now that you're in attack mode, now that you know who you are and what you are supposed to do with respect to this oppressive problem, how are you going to handle it? Well, here are a few tips from the story of Gideon. Number one, application point. Ask God. Ask God. What's your problem? Everybody got it in their heads? You got your problem? Ask God what to do about it. Ask God. Now I know that doesn't sound like a revolutionary statement coming from a pastor standing on the stage in front of a congregation on Sunday morning. But if I did a survey, the massive problems in your life, I bet you have prayed to God about it I bet that you have complained to God about it, but I bet a smaller fraction of you have actually asked God for instructions about what to do about it today. It's a different type of conversation, right? And once you've decided to solve the problem, once you've blown the trumpet, it gets you to the how portion of the conversation. All right, God, we're in it. We're in it together. God, do you have any ideas? Do you have any instructions here? Uh, because I am in a moment of battle, and I could use some marching orders. You can't steer a ship that's not moving. Get yourself moving, and then you will get some guidance, and you will get some navigation. So ask God. Ask God how to solve it. He will tell you, period, full stop. That's what I said. If you have an oppressive problem, God will tell you what to do about it. He might might not give you like a full blown 100% solution, but he will tell you what to do next. He will tell you what to do next. I can pretty much promise that is true because I've read the book. And that's how it always works. Always. What he tells you might seem a bit odd at first, but if you follow through on it, you will get yourself to the next step in the adventure. So ask God, he will tell you in some fashion, whether it be simple or kind of mysterious, He will get you moving forward. Yeah. Pretty much promise that. And if you just cannot hear God to save your life, maybe you've just got your ears all stopped up with anxiety and whatever, I don't know, ask somebody else around Blue Water to to pray and to listen with you. Go to a small group. At every small group meeting, every Ohana group we have a Blue Water Mission, uh, people will gather in a circle and pray and listen to God for one another. Every group. This is really easy to address. Just be willing for God to tell you uh, what to do, you know, which means that you'll have to like, you know, follow through on what he says. Ask God, he will tell you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that's true? If you believe it's true, you are on your way, mighty warrior. Step two, keep asking. Stop me if I'm getting too sophisticated. Ask God what to do, and then keep asking God what to do along the way. I'm not saying that you should be scared. All right, God, you told me to do this, now can you give me six guarantees that this is the right thing to do? Actually, that wouldn't be so bad. Here's what would be bad. Uh, God, could you give me six guarantees that this is surely going to work and be painless? That would be bad. What you want to do is just, you know, check in with the Lord because he's a chatty fellow. Don't be scared, just be humble. It's different. Be willing to say, well, I might not have this exactly right yet. Do you have any updated instructions? What's better, a map or Google Maps? Right? What's better? I know sometimes Google Maps doesn't work, right? You have to switch over to MacQuest or something like that. But what's better? You know, the fold out map that you read as you drive. Now, where am I again? Am I on this highway or that highway? Right? I'm old enough to remember those. Some of you aren't. You know, I actually learned how to use a compass when I was a kid for navigating the mountains of Southern Oregon. Now you have Google Maps, wherever you are in the world, you can get a satellite image with a blue dot that says you are here. What's better? Well, as long as you've got, you know, data, Google Maps is better. And God is the God of the ultimate data plan. Thank you, I've pushed that metaphor way too far. But, but there you have it, you know, so, so why not check in? And that's what I do when I drive. I don't even think where I'm going. I was driving around Maui all weekend. I just go, type in the destination, and I just start moving. And, uh, and it tells me, it tells me what to do. Helps me to check in. Uh, you can recruit others to help you listen because you got lots of fine people around here. You can read scripture, reflect on it, to make sure that what you're doing is in keeping with scriptural principle and stuff like that. All of these are great ways to update, take advantage of all of them. Step number three, and finally, uh, use what you've got. Don't complain about what you don't have, use what you've got. And if God needs you to have more, he'll certainly give you more. But we need to be people who are willing to use what we've got. Maybe it's like 300 guys with a bunch of water bottles, you know, and torches. Uh, maybe it's like, you know, a slingshot. I don't know what you've got, but I know that God has an imaginative way for you to use it. And that you could change history, perhaps, with one good shot. You could be the tipping point of a whole new season. But you gotta be willing to use what you got and not just complain about what you don't have because that's a showstopper. Use what you've got. It may be that this will work out better in the end, right? It may be that God not giving you enough to pull off the job ends up saving life later on. It will certainly mean that he gets more glory than he would have otherwise. It certainly means that perhaps it will keep you from getting a big head. You know, if you had to achieve great things while being kind of a failure. You know, kind of a small, obscure person. It may be that the best way to advance the kingdom of God on earth is to do it with a bunch of faceless people who nobody will remember so that they just have to thank God uh, for what is done. That may be true. If only I had... How many of you have said that? If only so and so would let me, how many of you have said that? Stop it and just start fighting the good fight. Just start moving forward and say, well, if I don't have that, I have this, let me work it this way and see what develops. In faith, I'll check in with God to make sure that I'm on the right path until such a time as the path emerges. That's a God-style adventure. That's how it works. All right, you got it? Kind of a simple story, if a, if a strange one. The pattern in the story is to do something and then ask God what to do next. <laughs> check with him. Do the thing that you know is the right thing to do, more or less, and then to check in with God to make sure that you're going in the right direction. So let me ask the question again. How many of you have like this oppressive problem in life? Just raise your hand for like 10 seconds unabashedly. It's like, yeah, actually I'm kind of facing a, I'm kind of face, facing a, a Midianite army and, and I got to be honest with you, Jordan, it's looking kind of especially big this season. Anyone? Go ahead. Raise it up. You know, that's a, that's a good thing to do as if you're, I don't know, holding a torch in front of the Midianite camp, something like that. Anyone? All right. If that's you, um, then here's what I want you to do. Ask God what to do next. You're going to ask God what to do about it. And then I want you to write something down or tap into your smartphone or something like that. I want you to ask God specifically what you are supposed to do about it today. Today. What can I do about it Sunday, August 25th, 2019? Whatever the problem is. And let's see what he says. It might be, A huge thing, probably more likely, it's simply the next thing. A relatively small thing. What can you do about your oppressive problem today? What's the next action item? I'll give you a couple minutes to listen. Here's what God has taught me uh, over the years. When I've got some huge problem, I'll say to God, I don't know how to solve this problem. And then God will effectively say to me, yes, but can you act on the problem today? And then eventually one thing leads to another. So the important question is, how can you act on the problem today? You might not be able to solve it today, but how can you act on it today? Do that with a little faith. One thing could lead to another, and you might end up with a very interesting story to tell. Mighty warrior. So, Father God, I pray that uh, you would be the God who speaks. Um, And uh, we incline ourselves to be the people who listen. Uh, We listen. We pray that you'd make us biblical people, maturing people, Yeah, that's all we can ask for. Thank you, that were you.